The philanthropic landscape is changing, and it's changing quickly. Between economic instability, the shrinking middle class, generational shifts, and advances in technology, many nonprofits are falling behind and struggling to find solutions in the traditional marketplace. And it's one of the reasons why Dickerson Baker recently launched a direct response fundraising agency to help you rethink how you engage with donors across the entire fundraising spectrum. If you want help with rethinking your fundraising, contact me directly at andrew.olson at dickersonbaker.com or visit dickersonbaker.com to learn more. Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, your home for all things fundraising and nonprofit leadership. I'm your host, Andrew Olson. Before we get into today's episode, I've got a favor to ask. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please go over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate the show and leave us a review. It helps us reach more people and make a bigger impact in the world. So thank you in advance for doing that. Now let's get into today's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast today. This is Andrew Olson. Uh, You're in for another solo episode today. And what I want to talk about today is the importance of blending both cash and asset-based asks with your donor audience. It's something that uh, we're seeing an increasing level of importance in across the sector and something that our team over at Dickerson Baker is pretty focused on. So um, I'm grateful to them again for sponsoring this episode and just to uh, hope you enjoy the show. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out directly. You can always hit me on LinkedIn or in the show notes thing. So according to Pew Charitable Trust, the aggregate wealth of middle-income Americans has declined by more than 47% in the last 50 years. And I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, you know, all of this, while, while lower-income Americans have seen minimal change in their wealth, and upper-income households have seen you know, massive increases in aggregate uh, wealth over the same period. Probably not shocking to any of you. Um, but you know, what we're seeing is wealth is consolidating in the upper sort of 2% of the American population faster than ever before at an unprecedented scale. And the reason this is important for fundraisers and for nonprofit leaders like us is because those middle-income Americans who've lost half of their aggregate wealth in the last five decades those are the people who make up the majority of nonprofit charitable donors. On top of that, according to Dr. Russell James, uh, who's a, a PhD researcher at uh, Texas Tech University, uh, you know, while, while 90% of wealth in the U.S. is held in assets other than cash, uh, things like donor advised fund accounts, individual retirement accounts, stocks, bonds, crypto now, uh, real estate and other real property, and closely held uh, business equity. The majority of charities continue to only ever solicit donors to give from their cash accounts. You know, we, we see time and again asks for write us a check, give by credit card. And, and so what that means is that uh, the majority of nonprofits are, are really chasing after just that 10% of U.S. wealth that's, that's held in cash. So with roughly 1.6 million charities in the U.S. alone, the competition for donor dollars is pretty significant. And, you know, again, the, the people most likely to be solicited by the majority of these charities have experienced a massive decline in their capacity to give over the last five decades. <clears throat> but instead of trying to expand the revenue pie, if you will, uh, we've become complacent as a sector in simply fighting with one another over that shrinking piece of the pie that's already an anemic 10%. What we're discovering though is it doesn't have to be that way. 
there are some very simple ways you can start to expand the revenue pie for your organization and encourage your supporters to give to you from their assets where the majority of their wealth is held instead of just from their already taxed cash accounts. So here, here are some of those ways. Number one, you can write a letter sharing with your supporters about the impact of giving from their assets and, and the impact it can have both on them in uh, respect to like tax advantages and also on your organization, you know, being able to put more dollars directly in the mission field. Yeah, in that letter, you know, you give them clear and concise direction on how to execute those asset-based transactions, whether it's, you know, you're giving from their donor advised fund, giving from their IRA, uh, or, or even transferring stock to your organization. You can begin to include language in your appeals, your emails, your newsletters, and other regular communications, inviting donors to give from those assets and explaining again in really simple terms what the impact can be both for you and for them. Uh, we see a lot of organizations that are starting to append age data to their donor file and send a special IRA contribution letter to donors who are 70 years old or older, and that's inviting them to maximize their tax advantages by giving to you directly from their IRA account. Uh, a lot of organizations have started to include a DAF widget on their website, so DAF being Donor Advised Fund. Uh, I like the option from Market Smart. I think theirs is, is a more comprehensive and easy to use DAF widget. Uh, we'll link to that again in the notes as well. Uh, but you can also send a special series of emails encouraging donors to give from their donor advised fund and linking directly to that DAF widget it makes it really simple for them to complete a, a donor advised fund transfer from their account into uh, your charity. You can send a, an annual or a seasonal donor survey that encourages donors to consider making a testamentary gift, so a bequest gift essentially to your organization. Um, and that's that's actually a really effective tool. We, we do that quite often for, for some of our clients and we, we help them surface dozens, uh, if not hundreds of of bequest opportunities that way. Uh, you can model your donors, your volunteers, and other constituents that you have for, for wealth and inclination to give. And once you've identified those who have the highest capacity and connection with the cause, you can actually send them a series of postcards or letters asking them to consider to get giving through their donor advised fund for the first time to you. And we often find that this will not just surface a number of, of uh, supporters who say, oh yeah, I, I didn't even think about giving to you through my donor advised fund. But we see this interesting phenomenon where the first time you send this uh, letter, some people might say, you know, I don't have a donor advised fund or I'm not giving to you through it. But then, you know, second and third time that, that you send this, you'll you'll see even a percentage of those people reconsider and actually go ahead and give to you through their DAF. And, and when they do that, they become, you know, three or five times more valuable just kind of out the gate. Um, another option would be, you know, when a donor gives to you through whether they give you stock, they, they transfer a contribution from their IRA, they give to you through their DAF um, or any other sort of asset vehicle. Don't just revert the next time you talk to them to asking them for cash or credit card uh, in a solicitation. So, so the, the example being, you know, let's say I give you a $500 donor advised fund distribution. In the next time you solicit me, say that's a next quarter, if you just go back and start asking me for a cash or a check gift again, uh, it, it really dilutes the opportunity. Once you know I give through assets, talk to me like I give through assets and, and create a special version of all of the communication that you send to me that asks me first and foremost to renew that gift through the asset vehicle of my choice. Uh, and, and in doing so, you're going to have a higher likelihood of that donor repeating those asset-based gifts, meaning you're, you're going to have a higher likelihood of also getting larger gifts. <clears throat> I recommend that we you tell stories in your print and email newsletters about donors who've included you in their estate plans, 
who've given you gifts from their donor advised fund, who've transferred stocks or IRA contributions to you. And the reason for that is that um, in telling those stories, you you basically are helping the donor see themselves in that place and see that, oh, right, other, other supporters of this organization uh, are giving gifts like that, so I can too. <clears throat> I like to include a, a ways to give document in all of my mid-level and major gift proposals. So <clears throat> when we're negotiating a, a major gift or, or securing a, a large mid-level gift, you know, we want to assume that our donors want to give through an alternative asset and ask them if there's a specific asset that they'd like to consider using to complete that gift. And, and, and so, you know, even just say on the back of a pledge form, you could list out the four or five different types of assets that your organization can readily accept and what the means are to, to, um, to accomplish those transfers of assets. And, and in that way, you're continuing to remind your donors that um, you accept and desire asset gifts and that they're also good for the donor as well. And then, Another one that I really like is I, I like to create a special matching gift pool to encourage donors to give from their assets for the first time. So instead of like a dollar for dollar match that, that donors are used to, I would consider something, you know, a structure where you say any any new asset based gift. So so maybe you say to a to a you know donor population, if you give to us for the first time through your donor advised fund, we have a donor who will kick in an additional $500 on top of your gift or $1,000 uh, on top of your gift to match that until the matching pool of, of $50,000 or $100,000 or whatever it is, is exhausted. And that way you're just incentivizing a new type of behavior that, um, that is similar to um, you know, a standard match, but it's about uh, increasing the number of asset-based gifts that, that you know, your organization receives. And at, at Dickerson Baker, you know, the firm where I work, we, we build asset gift marketing campaigns for ministries and other charitable causes. And we integrate all of these strategies that I just mentioned uh, directly into our core direct response uh, uh, program, our mid-level program, and our major gift offerings that we build and, and run for charities. We've seen these strategies and tactics unleash millions of dollars of additional impact for, for missions all across the, the world. And, you know, if this is something that, that is interesting to you and you want to talk about, um, feel free to hit me up online, hit me on LinkedIn, um, email me, text me, whatever. Um, I, I would love to help you think about how to reframe your ask for your, for your donor community and increase the number of asset-based gifts that, that you're getting uh, because your mission is critical and the opportunity is significant. Thanks again for joining us today for this episode of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. Please don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review so we can get our message out to more nonprofit leaders. And as always, feel free to reach out to me directly on LinkedIn or at andrew at andrewolson.net. Be well, friends.